0: Welcome to my study on understanding the book of Acts. These messages were given live during my regular Sunday morning services. Now, while each of these messages are able to help you as a standalone message, I recommend listening from the beginning because they do build on one another. Now, I pray these help you in your journey of understanding God's word. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. Let's get to the message. All right, open up your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 8. And we're going to basically kind of be around that section today. And uh, I want to start today with a question for you. Um, I think it's kind of interesting that uh, um, the video that was put up today. So one of the things that I try not to do is I try not to tailor things for my message. I find it far more interesting to just let let them happen and kind of see what Ashley picks or what else hap- what what else comes up. And almost always they intersect which is so cool to watch happen. Obviously, it's a coincidence, right? God's hand isn't involved in that at all, right? Because that's not what he does. Um, No, his hand's all over it uh, because God is involved in everything that we do. And, And they're wonderful, subtle reminders that he's in control. You know, that he's, that he's watching all this stuff. So I want to start with a question today, uh, as we continue this process of understanding the book of Acts. Uh, and this is, I think, very important for us today as we're moving into the kind of situation and type of social situation that we're in, the type of political situation that we're in. One of the interesting things about the world that we're living in today is that we are being continually divided. Divided on all kinds of lines. And they don't, they don't need to be there. Um, So the question I want to pose to you today is this, when we think about our lives, the gospel message and our part in it, are we willing to lay aside all of our personal views, our likes and our dislikes, and our prejudices, and by the way, you do have those, whether you want to admit them or not, they're there. Are we willing to lay those aside in order to take up the work and the view of Christ on all those subjects? On anything that you may have a, a view of what you like and don't like, are you willing to take up the cause of Christ within that? Are you willing to let go of your thoughts, your, your views, and take up the opinion of Christ in that, in, that, in that situation, no matter what it might be? And we're going to get into some of those here in just a second. The basic idea is really simple. We all have natural tendencies to judge situations, and judge people for all kinds of different reasons we do it almost immediately now up here in the north country it becomes very easy because there's certain things you just have to mention people who are on the wrong side of the bridge in carthage right you see we laugh about it because it's absolutely true right people who 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 do the law, the wrong kind of work someone with the wrong last name whether or not they're the person who irritated you or not they're one of the so and sos so obviously they're dirtbags right and that's not the way it works so are we willing to lay those things aside and take up the standards of god so If you look at the book of Acts, one of the most amazing things that it starts teaching us right off in the beginning is how to put aside those prejudices and take up the viewpoint of God. And God does this with his own people because his own people at this point in time are very prejudiced, borderline racist, okay? All you have to do is look at the history of the Jewish people. It's very, very clear in their history. They believed that everyone else was a dog, and if you wanted to be good, if you wanted to be valuable in the eyes of God, you needed to become one of them. That's probably pretty racially charged nowadays. you know. So if you think about this, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen is martyred. Stephen is martyred. Stephen's killed for his faith. And at that time, a huge portion of the church scattered throughout the region. They all ran because in Jerusalem they were being killed. No one wanted to be there, so they spread out all over the place. And during that time, one of the things that happened is that Philip went down to to Samaria and began to preach the gospel. Now, in Acts chapter eight, verse twelve, it says this: it "says But when they be- when they believed, Philip had." Uh, Excuse me, but when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. So both men and women in Samaria were, were coming to the Lord. But that's not the the interesting part. Two verses down, fourteen through fifteen, it says this. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem had heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. The main reasons why the apostles sent Peter and John is not because they wanted to make sure everything was there. They couldn't believe that Samaritans were receiving the the good news of Christ. Wow, Jesus is so powerful that even Samaritans who live on the wrong side of the bridge in Carthage can receive Jesus. Those people who went to the wrong high school can still receive Jesus the way we do. So they went down; they needed to see it for themselves. Let me ask you something: Have you ever had someone you've been in you've been in a church service? If you've been in a church service in the last year, because haha, that's just really funny, right? So, have you ever been in a service, or you run into someone that you knew from your past, and you find out that they're a Christian now? And now all of a sudden, all the reasons you hated them, all of the things that you validated in your own mind, why they were never going to end up in heaven, now you have to wrestle with those because they're not valid anymore. Now you have to find a way to like this person, which is unfair, right? I remember some friends in high school, when they found out that I was a Christian, they were like, ha, 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 ha. What? You? What was even funnier was some of them actually met me much later in life. Like, yeah, I uh, travel and preach with the youth ministry now. <laughs> no way. Yeah. No one wanted to believe it because all they remembered was who I was. And now they've got to figure out who I am. We have that same battle that we, that we go through in our own lives. So Philip returned to Jerusalem and then God sent Philip towards Gaza. He said, hey, go towards Gaza. Got something I want you to do. Now this, this story just makes me laugh just because Philip is literally chasing a chariot. But I want to these are a couple of longer pieces of scripture I want to read to you, but we need to get the entire context of what's going on here. So, this is Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. It reads like this It says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, go, to- go towards the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem towards Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch, and that's very important. Uh, of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship. He was returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake his chariot. Obviously, Philip was a sprinter in high school. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? This is how I'm imagining him doing it in his head. Uh, And he said, how can I, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture what he had read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before the shearer is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does this prophet say this, uh, say, excuse me, of whom does this prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and, and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? That is an incredibly important question, and we're going to get to why here in just a second. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe Christ Jesus is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. I think I would have freaked out before I started to rejoice. Just saying, you know, all of a sudden, Philip is star-tracked away. I think I would have lost my mind just for a moment. But it's still cool. So why was this such a big deal? What was the issue with this? And why is God giving us this account? God is giving us this account because it happened to a eunuch. Not only was this person an Ethiopian, he was technically a Gentile. He was a non-Jew. He was a eunuch. Eunuchs go through a process where their body is mutilated. We'll just leave it at that. But that meant he was ceremonially unclean. Jews were not allowed to be around these people. It was bad enough to be teaching him about the Bible. But to be around this person was, was borderline heresy. And then to baptize them into the church of Christ... Into the, into, the, into the family of God was an enormous risk on Philip's part because he could very easily be excommunicated by the entire community. Isn't that interesting? You think about this today. There are so many things that, that revolve around this today. How many of you know people who have a divided home? One person has this political view. The other person has that political view. Or someone's parents are a conservative and their kids are Democrat, right? Now all of a sudden you have this discontinuity and no one wants anything to do with you because you're the wrong type of person. You don't believe in this, so I don't want to have anything to do with you. Obviously, I can't welcome you into my home because you have these beliefs. This is exactly what was going on in this time with Philip. So for Philip to do what he did, he was breaking some major rules, But this is exactly what God wanted him to do because God didn't want Philip to see an Ethiopian eunuch through the eyes of society. God wanted Philip to see an Ethiopian eunuch as someone who was seeking after God and who needed someone to come and explain the word of God to him. Regardless of what was going on in his life, regardless of what was going on in his body, regardless of how society had received him, he was simply a person on earth, who was lost without Christ, who needed Jesus, and was trying to find Jesus. And as the Ethiopian eunuch says, I can read this, but I don't understand it unless someone explains it to me. How will they know unless someone goes? How can they hear if no one preaches? This makes sense. This is Jesus trying to, this is God explaining things to us through his word. You think about the people in our day as we that we look at as unclean by society, who is it that we see that is unclean? Oh, maybe that person's not going to not going to become a Christian. Maybe that person's not going to end up in heaven. This is society trying to divide us along different lines. Some of the ways society divides us is on income. It's pretty easiest one, right? The rich people hang out with the rich people, the poor people hang out with the poor people, right? You don't want a rich person hanging out with someone in a trailer because that's totally wrong. And, you know, and someone from a trailer doesn't go hang out with the rich person because, you know, their friends don't want to do that. So we divide, we stratify ourselves. How about this one lifestyle? How many people do we not connect with because maybe they're an academic and you're not? Or you're an academic and they're not? You know, I'd hang out with them, but, you know, I just don't want to be seen around stupid people. I've had these conversations. How about this? What if a person's just a redneck? Rednecks of the world unite, right? You know, you don't want to necessarily be seen with that person, depending on the crowd you're running in. How about where we live? We've already talked about people on the wrong side of the bridge. What about people from Lewis County and people from Jefferson County? When we moved from Jefferson County to here, one of the interesting things that happened is we bought a house in town, um, and you know everyone kind of knew where the house was. And we still get told, oh, you live in so-and-so's house. Like, we've been there 10 years. And we bought the house. It's not so-and-so's house anymore. But when we moved, when, we first start, when I first started pastoring here, I would meet people in town, because I'd, I'd come in, we lived, we'd lived in Jefferson County, and I'd come in and I'd run into people, and, and they'd say, oh, so are you the new new pastor at the, the church? At the time, it was the church up on the hill. It was the Red Roof Inn, basically, is what it was, a mile down Doran Road. So, so you're, the new, you're the new pastor down there? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Oh, that's really great. So where are you guys living? Oh, well, we live on just this side of Watertown. Oh. Like, the whole conversation changed. So I went from someone that was in the community to someone who is now unclean. I'm a Jefferson County eunuch. That's essentially What ended up happening? And what we found out was we had something we could leverage that we didn't even know. Samantha's grandparents owned a farm here like a billion years ago. So we'd run into the right people and we'd say, oh, well, Samantha's parents owned the, 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 they were the Fullers. They owned the farm. Oh, we know them. All of a sudden we're in. Like, is that seriously? Like all of a sudden now I'm clean? I'm unclean before. Now I'm clean? When we first moved to New York in 1987, we came over from Germany. My father was in the military. If anyone remembers the Fort Drum expansion in '87, the military were the unclean. We were absolutely we were not wanted. Now people people like, well, this this base needs to close. Get these people out of here. You talk about base closure now, everyone loses their mind because they realize there's something a little better there. But there were times we would go to the we, we would go into school. Oh, you're one of those military kids, so obviously you think you're better than everybody else. Not, not really. At the time, I was three foot four. (laughs) You know, it's eleventh grade. So when you're that size, the only thing you can say to someone is, "I'll climb all over you." (laughs) It just doesn't, doesn't, doesn't matter. But people are viewed in, in these ways, and we don't realize we have these embedded prejudices in our lives. How about this? A person's history. We judge per- people based on their history. Someone dated the person you liked in high school. Now you hate them forever. How about this? There's a girl in high school who's kind of a tramp. And yes, they do exist. But she's gotten out of high school. And that's the only way you remember her. As that, that tramp. You don't, you don't see her as she is today. How about a boy who was a bully or a jerk or someone who played, played around with the ladies? See, that was then, not now, but we judge them based on who they used to be. We do the same thing with people's sins. That person was in jail for such and such, therefore they are unclean for the rest of their life, which is unfair, completely unfair. How about this? That person did fill in the blank. That person lived an immoral life. How about this one? That person's divorced. I hear this in the church all the time. It drives me insane. That person's divorced, therefore they're unclean for the rest of their life. They can't be made right with God. These are These are beliefs churches have. We've declared someone unclean because of a moment in their life, and we've completely forgot the overwhelming value of grace. Because the thing that we forget is that if someone is unclean in your book, we forget that in God's book we're all unclean. Every single one of us is unclean. Every single one of us has a list of sin in our life. Some of us try to make the list as long as we possibly can. It's like a goal in our life. If I'm going to be forgiven, I want to be forgiven for as much as possible. The rest of us are moving in a different direction, trying to please God with our lives. But God came, Christ came for the unclean. He came to bridge that gap. In Acts chapter 10, something amazing happens with Peter himself. This is a little bit longer than I would normally read. This is verses 1 through 17. It reads like this. It says, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion who was, um, who was called the, uh, of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all of his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always, but in the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming and saying to him, Cornelius. And he went and observed him. He was afraid, and he said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Isn't that amazing? What you do in service to God has been brought before God to get God's attention. Now send men to Joppa and send, uh, send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. Again, how can he hear if, how can he hear if no one preaches? How can, how, can, how can we go if no one is sent? And when the angel of the Lord spoke to him, he had departed. Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among who, uh, those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa the next day. As they went on their journey and drew near to the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat, but while they were made ready, he fell into a trance and he saw the heavens open and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts and creeping things and birds of the air, unclean animals, by the way. And a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill, eat. And Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice, to him, a voice spoke to him again a second time, what God has cleansed, you must not call common or unclean. This was done three times, then the object was taken back up into heaven, while Peter wondered within himself what the vision which he had seen meant. Behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made an inquiry at Simon's house and stood before the gate. Three times Peter was told to not call unclean what God has called clean. Three men show up at the door. What was the nationality of Cornelius? Cornelius was a Roman commander. Not just a Roman, he was commanding a legion, a legion that would have brought discipline to the Jews in the area, to the Hebrews in the area. It is very possible that he himself has either arranged or ordered the execution of other people who were Hebrew at that time. His men probably held the whip that brought discipline to the unruly, Hebrews of the day. Yet he was a devout man. He sought after God. He wanted to see God. He wanted to please God. Listen to this. 25 through 36 says, As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, Stand up, I'm a man also. And he also talked with them he went in and found many who had come together and he said to them you know how unlisten to this how unlawful it is for a jewish man to keep company with or go to one of uh, to the home of another nation but god has shown me that i should not call any man common or unclean therefore i came without objection as soon as as uh, soon as i was sent for i asked then for what reason have you sent me So Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. At the ninth hour, I prayed in my house and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Therefore, send to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging at the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears and works righteousness is accepted by him. The Lord, the word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. What was God's message to Peter? Do not call unclean what I have called clean, do not look down on what I have restored. Do not put down what I have lifted up. Don't look at the past to the things that I have given a future. Don't make the mistake that your people are making right now. The past of anyone who you may be looking at, who you may be seeing, is gone. The only thing that exists is the future that I will give them. That is what God is saying to Peter. And Peter remembers it. He accepts it. He doesn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily totally grasp it at the same time because Peter still makes a lot of mistakes. Peter knew how risky it was to go to this house, but he had to be obedient to God. Peter knew that in the eyes of society, following the will of God could basically have him kicked out of the good person club. But he had to be obedient to God. Boy, does that ring true for us today. You see, as we follow God, we're going to get kicked out of the good person club. Society already doesn't like us if we if we hang tight to the word of God, if we stay true to what God's word tells us about morality, about sexuality, about sexual identity. When we cling to the word of God about truth, about life, society already doesn't want anything to do with us. But what they forget is that we're not judging someone Worthy or unworthy. We're simply saying we have to be committed to the word of God. But there's grace available for, all, for any who, who make mistakes. It doesn't matter. God is not showing partiality. Forgiveness exists for all, even those within the church. And as we go through our life, just because we're Christians, it doesn't mean we're going to get it right. Check this out. Peter makes some mistakes in Acts chapter 10. Paul says this then peter excuse me oh no actually i want to uh, i want to just read this to you really quick this is that same verse god shows no partiality but this is in the uh, complete jewish bible the one that i used last year and uh, uh i love the way this says this it says then kefa addressed them i now understand that god does not play favorites i now understand that god does not play favorites But in the book of Galatians, check this out, Paul grabs him in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, says, but when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face for what he did wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterwards, when some some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people. Instead, on the necessity, and insisted on the necessity of circumcision. Even though Peter had gone through this process with Christ, God had shown him not to call unclean what I have called clean. Peter is still making the mistakes. How many times have we done this where we want to stand up for God? We want to walk, we want to walk in the light of godly truth. We want to, we want to be known as a Christian. And all of a sudden certain friends get around us. And what do we do? We revert back to our old habits. We revert back to our old language. Some of you know what that old language is, right? Our old habits, our old jokes. Our old drinking, our old smoking, our old driving habits. Pick something. It doesn't matter. Because we're afraid to tell the people we're with now who we are now. And this happens way too often, folks. Way too often. When you get around the wrong person, or the right person, however you want to look at it, and they have more influence over you than the word of God does. And you become the person that God does not want you to be. God has made you clean, but you become the unclean version of yourself. Maybe just for a few minutes. And Paul says, confront that person to their face and remind them that this is wrong. Sometimes we don't want to do that because that's rude. According to the Lord, there's only two types of people on this earth. Those who know who do not know Christ as Lord, Lord and Savior. You may not realize this, but those people who do not know uh, Christ as Lord and Savior are lost. They're judged. They're already judged. They're adrift. They live, they're living a meaningless life. They have no hope, and we have no right to expect anything godly from them. The people who don't know Christ as Savior have no hope. They have, it doesn't matter what they achieve in their life. They're still going to end up in the same place. And we should never expect anything godly from them. Here's an example. When you have politicians that do not confess Christ, and you expect them to act in a manner that reflects biblical principles of morality and honesty, you're fooling yourself. You're fooling yourself. I've met more people when they come up to the point of an election go, Yeah, I know, this guy's a Christian, but this guy's just saying the right things. That's because one of them's following Jesus. The other one's a politician. And that politician gets in office because that's what politicians do. And we go, wow, I thought they would be better. I thought they would make better decisions. I thought they were going to be more helpful. I thought they were going to be more moral. I thought they were going to be more accepting. Now, all of a sudden, they're doing all this stuff that I didn't think that they would do. Why would you expect anything different? They don't have the light that guides them into truth in them. It's not there. So we can't expect anything different from them. They may be good from an earthly perspective, but they literally don't have it in them to be godly. And then there are those who do know Christ as Lord and Savior. They are forgiven and they're set free. They're also flawed, wounded, stubborn, prideful, and caught up in their own opinions. And I include myself in that. We should know that we need the help of one another in order to do the work that God is calling us to do. We need each other to be that Paul to our Peter. The one that's saying, hey, hey, yeah, yeah, you, godly one. You're confessing this and you're doing this. You're stepping out of line with where your life is confessing it's supposed to go. Do you think you want to try to be godly today? We need that from each other. You've heard me say this before. The Bible says iron sharpens iron. If you've ever seen iron sharpen iron, it throws sparks. It's necessary. See, on one side of the aisle, you have people who are messed up and don't know it. But on the other side of the aisle, you have people who are messed up and should know it. That's kind of the difference. On earth, the real difference between us and someone who doesn't know Christ is that we know we're messed up. But we also know how to get help. We also know how to grab a hold of grace. But in order to get that grace in our life, we have to offer it to other people. So that means that we cannot look at anyone in any other way than how God looks at them. We can't see the people around us in any other way than through the the, the eyes of Christ. When we look at somebody, you know, I don't want to waste my time witnessing to them. I don't want to waste my time trying to bring the gospel to them. God's going to have to send somebody else to that person because I've had enough. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) When you think about this stuff, imagine all the excuses that you have as to why you haven't shared your faith with XYZ, with your coworkers, with your family, with anyone. And I want you to take that excuse, and I want you to, in your mind, put it in the mouth of the person who led you to the Lord. The person who brought you to Christ. I want you to put that excuse into their mind, and I want you to ask yourself if it's valid. Because it's not. The very reason why you came to Christ... It's because Jesus was working through the life of somebody else and they saw you as valuable as God saw you. They brought something to you that you didn't have, that you didn't have the capability of finding on your own. God sends us because people need what you have. They need what's in you. They don't need our thoughts on them. They don't need us... To to, to help identify the 10 areas of their life that they need to change. They don't need us to tell them how bad things are in their life. You know, Jesus loves you, but I need to talk to you about some decisions that you've made. They don't need that. They don't need us to tell them that they need to find another career. They don't need us to tell them that they need to dress differently. Okay, some people might. But they, 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 don't, they don't need that from us. They don't need you to tell them to get a haircut and get a real job right? Most of us guys in this room, I actually don't think there's any guy in this room that actually has hair, except maybe Albert. <laughs> Good for you, Albert. Yeah, JP, but it's all in his face. it's really, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, don't know if, I don't know if that counts. I think all the hair in his head got scared and just came out of his mouth. Yeah. It's like <laughs> you know, there's, uh, sorry, it was there and I, I just had to. You know, this, they need the very thing from you that Christ gave to you, and that is grace That is tolerance. That is acceptance. No matter who they are, no matter what lifestyle they've chosen. I got asked a question once I thought was very interesting. He said, Pastor, are uh, people who pick ungodly lifestyles, and we'll just leave it at that because we all know how the algorithms work? Okay? I think you can read between the lines. If people who, who choose ungodly lifestyles, are they allowed in your church? Now, I was sad for two reasons. One, that their experience with the church was that you had to be a certain type of person to be welcome. Wherever they got that from. And two, they thought that either I or the church here would be the same way. See, so their opinion of Christianity is that they have to achieve this before they're welcome. God's view of Christianity is that you can't get out of the hole you're in until one of his people helps you out. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not about elevating ourselves up and trying to get other people to be like that. It's about looking down for those who are stuck and realizing that you were stuck and someone held you out. No matter where they are, no matter who they are, no matter what lifestyle they have, no matter what choices that they're making, God is willing to accept all and redeem all. We have forces around us every day trying to divide us along lines that have no real or lasting value. They want to divide us over income, political party, race, career field, your environmental issues. You know, I'd like to be your friend, but you drive a big truck. So obviously you just want the earth to blow up. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I live on the earth. I mean, I don't know if people realize that, but just, you know, it's fine. I still live on the planet here, you know your views on morality, and of course our religious views. The goal of these people is the same. To get you to, be, to focus your attention, to focus your thoughts on things that have no value. That's the purpose of those arguments. That's why the enemy brings those arguments to us, because they have no lasting value. They mean nothing. Our goal as believers in the world is to live for God and focus on what He says is important bringing the gospel of christ to all of the lost regardless of their race gender income political party etc it makes no difference i don't know if you realize this but there can be christians who are environmentalists there can be christians who are uh who are democrats i know this is really hard for some people to understand i'm just going to leave that alone It's about following the will of God, not about achieving something before God will come and meet you. So, we need to change the way we look about the world around us because the world around us is working very, very hard to get you to narrow your focus on things that don't matter, especially as believers. We can all see the writing on the wall, we can all see what's happening in our world. They're trying to get us to look at things that don't matter, to focus our attention and our energies and our resources on things that have no eternal value. And we have to be smarter than that. We have to be more aware than that. We have to look at things the way God looks at them. And God looks at them very plainly. And I'm, I'm going I'm to say this one more time, and then I'm going to pray for us. There are only two types of people in this world, those who know Jesus as Lord and Savior and those who don't. And if we see anybody through any other lens, we're wrong. It's just that simple. Nothing else matters. Skin tone, economics, political, it does make a bit of difference. We're either going to introduce them to Christ or we're going to let them go on to the future that none of us want. Hell is a very real place and our job is to keep people from it. That's it. That's all there is. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for what you're doing. I want to thank you that you keep reminding us, Lord, to be smarter than the world that's around us. Father, you keep reminding us to be more aware of, of what the enemy is doing behind the scenes and how things are trying to be manipulated, Lord. And you, you constantly remind us, Lord, to pay attention to the world that's around us, to pay attention to the details that get overlooked by so many others. Father, help us to have the mentality, the internal strength to see the world around us as you see it. To see the world around us with your eyes and your heart. To disconnect ourselves from these things that don't matter. And to stay focused on the goal. Of bringing the reality of your son to anyone willing to accept him. Help us to stay focused on the goal, Lord, so that when we see you, we will hear from you. Well done, good and faithful servant. We trust you with our days. We trust you with our future. We put all of this in your hands. We say, use us, Lord. In Jesus' name.